With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yo, yo, welcome to a new post-game edition of the Forum Club. I am your co-host, Jovan Buha. We have a solo show tonight. I am the only one on. The Lakers just beat the Spurs 121 to 117 to improve to three and two. The story of the night, of course, was LeBron James, who became the first player in NBA history to score 10 points or more in a thousand consecutive regular season games. And he did it on his 36th birthday at that. For some perspective on this, the streak started on January 6th, 2007, nearly 14 years ago to this very day. And I was halfway through my freshman year of high school. I don't know what each of you listening was doing at that point, but just think back to January 6th, 2007. That is when LeBron started this streak. It is the longest streak of all time. He eclipsed Michael Jordan, who was second on the streak list at 866 games. He eclipsed him back in March of 2018, so over two years ago. And since then, has just been building on that, but just crossed that 1,000 game threshold. For those asking, because there was a lot of people asking on Twitter, this is a regular season achievement. So yes, there you know been some playoff games where he's been under 10 points, notably the 2011 finals. But aside from that, you know, since January 2007, every regular season game, he has been at you know 10 or more points. And what's really interesting, or I think remarkable with that, is that he's only had three games out of those 1,000 where he's been at 10 points exactly. So really 997 of them, he's been 11 or more points, just consistent excellence. And I think it goes without saying, like you can come up with every superlative for LeBron and always a lot of attention on him and coverage and and what people are saying, but he is special. This is historic and it needs to be appreciated. And, you know, I I think it being his birthday also, you know, adds a wrinkle to that. And some of the stuff that's happened with him in in terms of breaking certain milestones and interesting points in his career, you know, this is just another one added to the list. So kudos to LeBron. Happy birthday. And that was really the story of this game. The most notable thing to come of it. Another note, you know, Spurs assistant Becky Hammond took over for Greg Popovich at the 356 mark of the second quarter. Pop got tossed after a no call, uh, picked up back-to-back technical fouls. So she became the first woman to serve as a head coach in an NBA game. She had previously coached the Spurs Summer League a couple times and, you know, obviously been a, an assistant for Pop now for a few years, but she broke through and, and had a milestone tonight as well. So shout out to Becky Hammond and you know Frank Vogel and, and LeBron talked about her after the game. And Frank said he thinks she's going to be a, a future head coach at some point in the NBA. And, and LeBron was talking about her putting in her dues and, and you know working hard to get to this point and that you know this wasn't something that was handed out to her. This was something that she earned and deserves, you know, both for her playing career and, and you know establishing herself as, as an all-time great in the WNBA, but also as someone 
someone who has worked hard. And we know, you know, the Spurs culture that to work up in the Spurs organization, you know, is as difficult as any organization in the NBA. So uh, for her to do that, I think is a, is a testament to her coaching chops. And, you know, they actually outscored the Lakers, you know, to end the half and then, you know, had multiple runs in the second half to you know, bring it, you know, Lakers would go up by 18, Spurs would get it back down to 810. And that's a feisty team. They showed a lot of fight in that second half. So that's another notable thing from this game. As for the game itself, it was a bit sloppy. The Lakers defense has not been sharp so far. And, you know, offensively, they've been really good. Frank Vogel talked about it after the game where he's really happy with where they are off offensively. They got out in transition a lot tonight, scoring 23 fast break points. Another good three-point shooting night, made 14 of 26 threes. You'd probably like to see that number go a little bit higher into that, you know, 30 to 35 range, especially with how good they were shooting. If you're not getting to that 30 to 35 range, you maybe want to see more free throws. They only had 20 free throws tonight, but they scored 121 points. They won the game by double digits. Like that's about all you can ask for. So LeBron had 26 points, five rebounds, eight assists, a steal and a block. AD, 20 points eight rebounds, and most notably, his first two blocks of the season. The first four games, he only played in three of them, but the first four games of the year, he did not have a block. He finally got his block. Actually, both blocks came within the first eight minutes of the game. And AD's talked about this, where he's kind of been dragged out onto the perimeter, especially playing next to a Marcus Gasol or a Montrez Harrell. Those guys are often defending fives. And AD, with the way the league has shifted, it's a lot of small ball, it's a lot of stretch fours. AD, you know, looking at who he's had to defend against the Clippers, it was a lot of Kawhi Leonard or Paul George or even a Patrick Patterson, you know, guys who are spacing the floor, you know, Nick Batum. Tonight, it was a lot of DeRozan or Keldon Johnson or uh, Rudy Gay, like, you know, guys who were also on the perimeter against Dallas, Dorian Finney-Smith, Josh Richardson, some Luka. Like, so he, he's talking about how just the way it's gone defensively, he's had to be on the perimeter and, and not been able to be inside and, and be that rim protector and, and rim deterrent and, and get the blocks that he's accustomed to getting. So tonight, it, it felt like he made a concerted effort to roam as a help defender, you know, get in passing lanes, get deflections, get the two blocks that he had, just be more active defensively. And AD is a special defender, obviously. I think he is, at the end of the season, going to strongly be in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation as he was last season and, you know, multiple previous seasons before that. But it is going to be a process for the Lakers to figure out what do we do defensively if teams really are trying to scheme AD out by having his man just park themselves in the corner or as a player's drive his man is popping and he has to make that decision. You know, am I going to collapse on the ball handler or am I going to pop out with my guy who in most cases is a good shooter or scorer, you know, and you don't want to necessarily help on a drive to give an open three. So Lakers have to figure that out. You know, I, I wrote about this after the Portland game. I thought it was interesting that they ended up losing the closing lineup minutes with that, you know, the starters plus Trez. And one of the things that I found interesting in that was that they kept Trez on Yusuf Nurkic and kept AD on Robert Covington. And to me, that didn't really make sense because Robert Covington isn't a off the dribble threat as, you know, someone who's going to get to the rim or someone who's going to shoot off the dribble, you know, Steph Curry style. So to me, it was like, why not just put Trez, you know, Portland's targeting in the pick and roll in the corner against Covington and involve AD in the primary action. Like, I, I think that's kind of the recipe if you're going to play AD and Trez. And, and then if, if Portland switches that and, and wants, you know, Covington to be the screener, that's fine because he's not a, as effective as a screener or an offensive player. Just overall.
overall as Yusuf Nurkic. Like Yusuf Nurkic is used to screening for Dame, screening for CJ, rolling, you know, in the short roll, catching that ball, finding a shooter or driving or driving into finding a shooter. Robert Covington doesn't have that same level of experience. And obviously he's a bit more mobile than, than Nurkic. You know, maybe that's something Portland figures out and it's a weapon for them. But I'd rather have Robert Covington try to beat me than Yusuf Nurkic or the Lakers botching their their coverages and, you know, Dame getting an open three or, or getting fouled or something. So I think that's going to be an aspect of the defense that the Lakers really have to figure out because it has been a problem early on through the first five games to an extent. Teams, including the Spurs tonight, targeted you know, Marcus Gasol and Montrez Harrell in the pick and roll in transition, knowing that those guys are not the same level of shot blockers as a JaVale McGee, as a Dwight Howard, or even obviously as an Anthony Davis. So the Lakers have some stuff to figure out defensively. The Spurs had 19 fast break points tonight. They had 46 points in the paint, 32 in the first half. So Lakers cleaned that up in the second half. But I do think that there are some questions here and, and things they have to work through defensively, both schematically, you know, personnel wise, and, and just in terms of the rotation, like there are some things that the coaching staff has to figure out. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. But on a more positive note, you know, so AD had his first two blocks and another guy had a first in Wes Matthews finally breaking out. He made six threes, all six of his threes to boost his three point percentage because he had started the season 0 for 8 on threes. You know, this was a guy who shot 38% last year. It was kind of supposed to fill that Danny Green role coming in as like a 37, 38% three point shooter. And he had just been ice cold and frankly had been the Lakers worst rotation player out of the 11 guys that were playing. But now after going six for six, talk about small sample size theater, he's now boosted his three point percentage to 42.9%, which obviously is a very elite mark. And that's that number will come down, but it was good to see Wes Matthews you know, shake out of that slump, feel more confident. The Lakers bench was going crazy. He was pump faking into step back threes, which I guess something he can do, but you know, not something you necessarily expect from him. But this was a big, you know, breakthrough because the bench struggled against Portland. They once again struggled tonight, you know, aside from Montrez Harrell, who, who had 10 and nine, but it was a pretty quiet 10 and nine. And, you know, he had the play where he, he gets stuffed at the rim and, and then he goes back and, and DeMar DeRozan dunks on him. And it, it was a bit of a frustrating night for Montrez. Markeith Morris, who closed the game at the four, but relatively quiet night overall. Kyle Kuzma had a, had a tough night, six points on, on two for seven shooting, but really Wes, you know, carried the bench scoring. He had a, a really big night and I think kind of saved the Lakers at a couple points because there was some stretches there where the Spurs were getting the lead down to, again, you know, 12, 10, eight points. And some of those shots, you know, gave the Lakers some distance. So a uh, big performance from Wes Matthews. And again, you hadn't seen that from him yet. It almost seemed like it, it might've been getting in his head a little bit. You know, he was passing up some shots, didn't look as confident. So this is a breakthrough performance that, you know, he's not going to shoot six for six every night, but if he can be just a more confident player as your ninth, 10th guy, like that's all you can ask for from that spot. And final thing before we wrap up here, I mentioned the closing lineup with Markeith Morris. So it looked like for a stretch, the Lakers were going to go with AD, Trez, LeBron, KCP, and Dennis Schroeder to close this game, which was the same group that they used in the Portland game that ended up going minus one in seven minutes. But with about four and a half minutes left, Frank Vogel subbed out Trez, brought in Markeith. And, and this is the lineup that, you know, Lakers Twitter has been clamoring for. This is the group that, you know, 
basically was closing games deep into the playoffs against Denver, against Miami. You know, really ha- had a lot of success in basically AD, Keith, LeBron, and two guards. That alignment kind of varied. Sometimes it was KCP, Danny Green, Alex Caruso, uh, Rajon Rondo. It really just depended on the night, the matchup, who was playing well on both ends. So we finally saw this group and it looked good. They put the game away. I don't remember the exact margin of when Markeith entered, but from that point, around four and a half minutes left, you know, the Lakers took control of the game, you know, stretched the lead to, I want to say somewhere in, in, you know, 12, 14 point range. And, you know, that kind of did it. And I asked Frank Vogel about that after the game. And, and he just said, you know, that formula of AD, Keith and LeBron plus two guards, like we won a championship with that. And that's a formula that is proven and I trust and I'm confident in. And he mentioned he will, you know, test out Mark at some point in the closing lineup and he will go back to Trez at some point. You know, he's still experimenting, but with the Lakers needing a win, being at two and two, you don't want to drop a game in San Antonio and and drop to two and three. You know, he went to that group and they ended up closing the game out well. And so I, I think. That is the lineup that everyone wanted to see. That That's the lineup that I think is probably going to be closing in, in most important matchups. You could make the case Alex Caruso could be in there for Markeith or, or for KCP or, or maybe even for Dennis, you know, depending on the matchup if you need more defensive point guard. But I think, you know, those are the five guys that are most likely going to close with some exceptions here and there, depending on matchups. So we finally saw that. I thought it looked good. It looked, you know, similar to the playoffs with Keith spreading the floor, you know, switching defensively. He had a nice contest and, and, and rebound, uh, you know, protecting the rim. So I thought all in all, that group looked good and the Lakers offense looked good. <laughs> the defense was up and down, but a win is a win. It's a good way to close out 2020. Next game for the Lakers is at the Spurs again on Friday uh, before playing the Grizzlies next week on Sunday and Tuesday in Memphis. Uh, but that will do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Let me know if you have any feedback on the solo pods. If you'd like me to maybe do some Twitter questions, you know, any ideas you guys have, I'm open to it. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jovan Buha. It's J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. Stay safe. Have a happy new year. And I will talk to you all in 2021.